0: This is Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. Because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho.
1: I'm Stephen Caradini. Today, we're going to talk about the election, which breaks several of uh, Winning Slowly's norms. Which is, one, we are usually gleefully out of sync with the (laughs) news cycle. um, And two, we almost never talk about politics. At least not directly. At least not directly. We did talk about Obamacare by talking about the policy of the website. So, you know, we'll find something to talk about. But we're actually going to talk about politics in a little bit more direct fashion. I did say a little bit more, uh, because we're still not actually going to talk about various things that you may ponder about our political situation. But we are going to discuss what it means to do politics in a time of despair. So... As you well know, dear listener, whether you are in America or not, (laughs) uh, America just elected a new president. President President-elect Trump has caused a great deal of consternation in everything from uh, riots in Portland to very toxic uh, online conversations to individualized violence to lies about individualized violence to hostile work environments to sad work environments. Basically, the entire country is having an emotional breakdown right now.
0: Except, of course, for all the parts of the country that are rejoicing at their great triumph and cannot imagine anything going anything but amazingly now that their candidate has been elected, which is an interesting set of responses to juxtapose against each other, not least because in many ways, though Not identically, as we'll talk about later in the episode. Had the results of the election been flipped, well, the responses of the relevant people would have also been roughly flipped. Flipped. And this suggests, perhaps, first of all, that we hang maybe too much on politics. And that's something we've talked about in the past and we'll come back to in the future. But – for right now, we're going to deal with the reality that we do, as a country, hang this much on politics, and we're going to bring together a number of themes we've talked about on previous episodes, both about politics itself and about other things, and try then to say, how do we go forward from here? What does it look like politically, personally, relationally, uh, in our civic life, in our political life, in our familial lives? Many of us are in families where we may have voted and made different political choices from people we care Mm -hmm. about a lot. That can be Mm -hmm. awkward with Thanksgiving coming around the corner. But how do we do that in a way that both maintains our integrity, things we think are important, things we may think are really serious things about the way our country goes at the same time as dealing with people who may have profound differences from us whom we love or with whom we work or whom we cross paths with in the street. This is hard stuff. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, in some sense, buckle up. In another sense, we're not going to take ourselves too seriously here because sometimes taking ourselves too seriously is, in fact, part of the problem.
1: Indeed. So the first thing to note is that this was a really close election. So if anyone tells you that the Republican Party is ascendant or that the Democratic Party is doomed, they' will post an article from <laughs> Nate Silver that shows you how wrong – that is. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, wow, I really don't want to look at any numbers related to politics anytime you are in until good like company. the next election. <laughs> yes, you are in good company. Every time
0: I posted an article for Stephen to look at in the last three days, which we're recording Friday, November 11th, three days after the election. Stephen has been saying, I don't want to look at numbers. Stop sharing articles that involve numbers. I guess that was kind of interesting, but stop sharing articles that involve numbers.
1: I mean, it's it's all speculation at this point, and it's going to take a while to regain my trust because all of the <laughs> polls were so wrong. But the point of this article, Nate Silver, is that all of the polls were relatively wrong and that, A, we hang a lot more certitude on polls than even pollsters think we should, although that's partially their fault. <laughs> and, B, this was a really close election that could have gone in a lot of other ways in non – catastrophically different circumstances it would not have taken much
0: it literally would have been one in 100 voters changing their minds
1: that's not a lot right so if anybody tells you that someone is ascendant or someone is doomed that's just not true So we'll start there.
0: Yeah, and that brings us to an essential point about American politics that gets forgotten with basically every election, and that is that for all the variation in American politics and for all the wide array of views you will find even in elected representatives and senators and the like, the American electorate is actually fairly centrist. And that's on average. There are outliers. There are people who are way out on the wacky fringes, some of whom we deplore, and we will call out for folly and nonsense and wickedness when it's there. Mm -hmm. You've heard us do that before, and you'll hear us do it again. Mm -hmm. And if you see me on social media, you've seen me do that. Yep. Nonetheless, on the whole, America is a relatively centrist nation that basically gets fed up with which Ever party has been most visibly in office after given amounts of time. If the Democrats were totally ascendant now, you could bet that somewhere between eight to 20 years from now, the country would be fed up with them and would turn the whole thing over to a Republican-led Congress. If you doubt that, just look at the history of United States voting patterns, even over the 20th century. That's basically how it goes.
1: Yeah. From 1978 onward, it's been Democrat, Republican, Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican.
0: Do you notice a trend there?
1: (laughs) So it flips pretty often. And that's part of how we have to deal with American politics. Again, this was a really close election. It was almost Mm 50-50 in uh, popular vote. And because of California, Hillary Clinton actually won the popular vote by uh, a small number.
0: There are quirks about the electoral college that we won't get into today, for good or ill. Right,
1: for good or ill. The point being that if Trump is a completely terrible president in four years and doesn't do any of the things that he campaigned on and uh, ticks off his base of people who want to see him do certain things, they won't vote for him again that's pretty standard in american politics. Right. now if he does the things they want to do, he they will try to vote for him again and then it will take a surge of democrats who are fed up with, you know, not having anything go their way for 4 years mm-hmm. and if they have a high turnout election versus a republican low turnout, then the democrats will win because that's basically what happened in this election is that there was a high turnout in several key states for republican voters and there was a low turnout in those same states for democrat voters. Mm-hmm. That's what happened, and that's something that's probably going to happen in 4, 8, 12, or 16 years. So we are on a cycle. This is the long game. This is the winning slowly train. Like this is not something out of the ordinary for American politics. Right. Now, something that is out of the ordinary – president-elect trump
0: <laughs> right has said things etc which are very much outside the norms his entire campaign very has been much. very much outside the norms of american politics and so let us rehearse the
1: litera- the litany he is xenophobic racist ableist sexist verging on misogynist mm-hmm. he is a
0: protectionist and a probably a white nationalist at least in terms of what he's said
1: uh, mm, he, well we'll say going.
0: this he's enabled white nationalism and has never rejected or repudiated it in a significant way i think that's a fair that representation is,
1: that is a fair representation so there are a lot of very bad things yes that he has done and that he has said mm-hmm. in the course of his campaign and before it so we are in no way Saying that this is
0: normal. normal or okay. It is not
1: normal. It's not okay. We're not normalizing this in the American polity. No. This shouldn't happen.
0: And in fact, one of the things we want to say here is, okay, all of those qualifiers about normal swings in elections, etc., being what they are, this is unusual. And if right. you're a person who's very deeply upset by Donald J. Trump's election, who may be afraid Because of things Trump said during the election cycle, because of things Trump supporters have said and done, which he has not repudiated, we get that. And we don't – totally valid. Yep. There is a very legitimate reason to feel that way when Mm -hmm. you're looking at – perhaps you're a Latino who has experienced actual people chanting – terrible things at you regardless of whether mm-hmm. where you were actually born or whether you immigrated here or your parents have lived here for three generations right if you're a black person who's genuinely concerned that really nasty white nationalist and aggressively racist sentiment which has been normalized in the course of this election may result in real threats to your life that's real. that's real and we for one won't will not stand for that kind of thing in our community. Uh, And we we get where you're coming from. We may not have experienced it ourselves, but we also refuse to minimize it and we refuse in any sense to normalize it or to say that it is not a real and genuine and well-motivated emotional response.
1: Right. And part of what we want to do in this episode is talk about empathy and how we can say things like we get that, When we obviously are not black, and we obviously have not been in those situations that you have been in, and we don't have the same sorts of life experiences. so
0: We want to talk about both the necessity of empathy for politics and for healthy politics going forward, but we also want to talk about the limits of – not the limits of people – with whom we're willing to empathize, but where empathy goes to and where it stops. Because that's a hard thing, and politics needs empathy not to devolve into total dysfunction, but empathy Mm -hmm. also only can go so far. I I refuse to empathize with racist sentiment, for example, even though I want to empathize with any number of people who are themselves expressing racist sentiment, not least because I want to help change their minds.
1: Right. And so it becomes complex, and it becomes difficult emotional work. And emotional work is a thing. Mm -hmm. Many of us have experienced it uh, (laughs) unintentionally over the course of this particular election cycle. True that. And so before we get there, it's important to note just a couple checkpoints along the way of what Winning Slowly has thought in relation to this sort of politics before we say, and now you should do X. (laughs) So we've talked before – most specifically related to this issue about how the nature of social media uh, affects populism in America and throughout the world, and so at at some level, this is that born out times twenty. Right. This is a an echo chamber sort of situation that escalated to a uh, national conversation um, that turned into a uh, a massive turnout of uh, republicans at a uh, battleground state Mm -hmm. uh, level now there are definite things that we've talked about before in the creation of networks and the activity of voting and the desire to be involved in politics that we can actually commend so we want people to be involved in politics we want them to be communicating with other people but there are ways that they need to be doing that And there are ethical constraints around what is appropriate and right and good to say to people, (laughs) even if there are no legal bounds around that language, or at least very few legal bounds around the sorts of language that you can say, particularly in the quote-unquote public sphere, (laughs) social media sphere.
0: Yeah, and and one of the things with that, it is worth note that as distressing as many things about this electoral outcome are, it's really good – that this was an outcome accomplished electorally, not least because it can be rolled back electorally. Right. In many countries, these kinds of changes in the past have – sure, some of them have been accomplished electorally and never rolled back without pretty large internal events. But in other countries, these kinds of changes have happened electorally and been rolled back. And the rule of law and the ability of norms to govern us us and then – Things like checks and balances in the federal government, et cetera, mean that a political outcome is not finally determinative. And we're glad that while we disagree strongly with many of the things that were expressed in this election, they were expressed electorally rather than with mass violence or something like that. That Or a
1: political coup. Right. That happens in other countries right. and it's not un- – uncommon to hear that a country has had a coup right
0: and so we're grateful for that even even while we have more than reservations about some of the things that people want to see here
1: right and so we can go farther down that track but Part of what we want to to get to is um, an extension of an episode we've had previously, which is how to disagree with each other right. and how to do so in a productive manner that doesn't alienate people and that actually has a result of real change. Mm-hmm. Um, or the potential for real change, or real compromise, or these these ways that things can move forward, regardless of of what that means for the particular situation.
0: And that that builds on work we've done talking about doing politics locally, about doing mm-hmm. non political things locally, mm-hmm. about how we use and how we don't use social media, thinking about what's effective mm-hmm. there and what's not, thinking about right. the costs of Twitter mobs and Facebook gang up wars, thinking about the value of interacting in person over a beer or a cup of coffee or some tea if, you know, if you're more British in orientation <laughs> uh, or, or just Stephen's wife who loves her tea. Yes,
1: yeah, she does. Hi, Barbara.
0: <laughs> we... Are going to assume all of those things and we'll link them all. And so if you want to go back and listen to the things we've said there, those are necessary elements in all that we think about this. We think that you need to be willing to share controversial things on Facebook, but much more willing to sit down with a family member you love at Thanksgiving and say, hey, look, we disagree, but can we talk And that's way harder actually than doing it on Facebook because even if you're shouting at each other on Facebook, you're not looking someone you love in the eyes and having a hard conversation.
1: Right. And there are times where you just have to leave social media. Yep. And that's also acceptable. Sometimes wise. (laughs) And sometimes wise. So all of this that we're about to say – comes out of that background. So Winning Slowly has accreted its way to 80-plus episodes. And and we're coming at this particular thorny issue from all of that background. So for those of you who have tracked with us all the way or binge-listened their way up to here, (laughs) you know where we're going, and we salute you. So we're going to talk about empathy. And empathy is tough. Empathy is more than sympathy – so in the way that we're thinking about sympathy and empathy, sympathy is knowing the facts about a particular situation and making an assessment and saying I understand what is happening. It's a it's a sort of knowledge. Empathy is an emotional response. It is putting yourself into an emotional state that is the one that is being espoused or lived in by the person you're empathizing with, which means it costs you something. Empathy makes you sad if you're empathizing with someone who's sad. That's tough.
0: Yeah. It is the—to grab the old expression, it's putting yourself in someone else's shoes. It's walking a mile in someone else's shoes. It's not just saying, oh, there's a pair of shoes over there and they look like they might be slightly uncomfortable. It's emotionally putting them on and walking down the road and saying, I have blisters now. And my blisters are a lot smaller than yours because you've been walking in those shoes every day and I've only been walking in them for an hour. But I get where your blisters are coming from now. And I may not agree with you 100% on everything, but I get it. And that kind of emotional work, it's very hard. Again, we're we're not going to diminish that. And that kind of emotional work does not oblige you, as we'll trace out, to agree with everything that the other person is saying. But it may help you not to hate them. And not hating the people with whom you disagree is exceptionally important for a democracy to function. And we see that on both sides right now. And again, the weight of that falls heavier on some people than others. Being blunt— being a person who is economically disadvantaged and has not been particularly paid attention to is a problem is less of a problem than having racial violence directed at you, and that's not to make light of the former and – It's not to say that we should ignore or diminish or play down the former. Doing so is part of what got us to where we are today. But we also do have to be able to simultaneously empathize with people and still be able to make a distinction between and see a gradient between kinds of harms that people experience while aiming to empathize with each other. That's really, really hard work. But we think it's actually necessary and essential for a democracy to function. And equally importantly, it's necessary for change of the kind we need to happen.
1: Right. And so it's important to note that there's a whole lot of of strands that Chris just tied together into a line. You have the nature of empathy, and then you have talking to someone that you disagree with, Then you have trying to respond in an empathetic way to somebody that you disagree with. And then you have still disagreeing with someone but understanding their emotional state, which is another step. Mm -hmm. And then you have the modification of your own emotional state, which is no small thing. And as a result of all of that, either changing or not changing, you're... Opinion based on how other people understand the situation. Layered on top of that is the reason that people feel this way emotionally, because we are not about hyper-emotionalism here. (laughs) Understanding the facts that make people feel that way about certain things goes a step even further. And then you have to interpret the way that the facts are being presented to yourself as a person who is different than the other person and the way they're being interpreted to that particular person because you're not reading the same media, almost certainly. Yep. You're not reading the same communities. You're not parts of the same communities. So there's bunches of of areas of mismatch. And so the best thing to say here is that this doesn't all happen in one conversation. <laughs> no. This is not – you can't just sit down across from – a person who you disagree with, and at the end be like, I have empathized, and I still disagree. Uh, All done. That's that's not really how it works. And so, yeah. this crosses a lot of difficult boundaries. Because of the nature of the rural-urban split, many people are insulated from people that don't feel the same way as them, except if, dun dun they are in your family. <laughs> so, there's a lot of tension, and a lot of reason to not, that you can find. But, For the sorts of, I don't even want to say change, it's such a loaded word, but for the sorts of work that need to happen to to actually unify or unite or bring together this language that many people are rightfully and helpfully putting out, Mm -hmm. for that to actually happen, you know, welding doesn't doesn't just happen by sticking two pieces of metal next to each other.
0: <laughs> There's a lot of heat involved. <laughs> and a
1: lot of of really difficult work. So yeah. this is unpleasant. Now, if you're a libertarian you're like, yeah, I've been doing that forever. <laughs> keep keep on, man. Like keep on, woman. And the
0: same thing in America, if you're a true socialist
1: or yeah, if you're a any a green party or if you're uh <laughs> right. a, an an un- unaligned independent as I would Uh, my voting record would currently show. (laughs) You know, regardless of where you sit on these things, you're going to have to have these conversations and there's going to have to be a lot of listening and there's going to have to be a lot of internal change. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but if I do all the changing and they don't do any changing, then I lose. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Part of the question is what winning means. Obviously, we've talked about the slowly part a bit. Yeah. One of the things that we do have to say is that Empathy doesn't solve everything. Mm-hmm. Empathy is necessary but insufficient component. And right. the kinds of unity we're talking about here are the unity of a nation that is willing to work together to try to find common goods. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that's really obvious is there are some strongly different – Competing visions of the common good and reconciling that is not something you can do just by putting yourself in the other person's shoes. Right. There's still going to be sharp intellectual disagreements, and we don't think you should put those aside. Right. I think our record of staking out fairly distinctive positions on winning slowly will make that clear. We're right. not shy about saying we think X and we think X is important
1: for th- X and Y reasons.
0: Right, but but empathy is a necessary precondition to any kind of seeking the common good because it involves recognizing what we would describe as the image of god in the other person no matter how sharp your disagreements are you're two human beings Mm -hmm. and you have that fundamentally in common and whether you want however you are tempted to characterize other people as fundamentally different than you more fundamental than those differences however sharp and however real they may be Is a common humanity, a common for our part, we think, being made in the image of God that needs to transcend that in our politicking, in our racial discourse, in our economic discourse, in our cultural discourse. And again, without blurring those differences, we don't think that white nationalism or black nationalism, but one of these is ascendant right now, is okay, We don't think that racism is okay. We don't think that misogyny is okay. And yet, I want to have those kinds of conversations where I try to move the needle with people that are expressing white nationalism. And that means arguing with them, maybe, but arguing with them while trying to understand them, looking, as we've said in the past, what is reasonable but not justifiable Mm -hmm. in this person's politics, in this person's views about things? Why do they think this? How can I aim to persuade? How can I not hate them even while I differ very, very sharply with them?
1: And at some level, you're going to get to a point where everyone's politics – comes down to this would be better for me personally, even if it hurts someone else.
0: Mm -hmm. And one of the questions we have to be willing to ask sometimes in politics is maybe that's so. Can I set aside what's best for me because it would be better for someone else? Can I love my neighbor as I love myself? Can I do for others what I wish they did for me? And that's
1: really tough particularly if you align yourself with the side that's like, but we are already doing all of the good things for all of the people. (laughs) We are already on the side of enlightenment and positivity and justice. And so setting aside some of those preconceived self-determined and collectively decided ideas about what the goals of the politic are are going to have to happen. And that's a really painful process, and that's frankly – the, the most difficult part of this process, even when we're talking about the empathy, mm-hmm. which is, as we've mentioned, incredibly difficult, the most difficult part of all of this is the part where you have to say this might end in a compromise and I'm not going to get everything I want. And that's part of what politics means is that together as a society, we go in a direction where no one gets everything they want. And that's hard because Chris and I talk about things on Winning Slowly we would like all the time. Like we have a very (laughs) – if you put down all of the policy ideas that Winning Slowly has put forward in 80-some-odd episodes, it would be a pretty coherent – there would be gaps. But there would be a pretty coherent set of policies that we would like the world to be like. It's not like that.
0: It's not like that at all. (laughs) The world is not like that. And so – If it were, we wouldn't need the podcast. We
1: definitely wouldn't need the podcast. So it is – it is important to realize that sometimes empathy results in you feeling okay with compromise. And sometimes empathy makes you think, okay, there's not going to be any good way to get here but compromise, and I'm going to have to give something up. And sometimes empathy is like, wow, I hope I never feel that again. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should change my opinion so that no one has to feel that again.
0: And, and sometimes empathy is going to be saying, I get where you're coming from. You still could not be more wrong But you're still another person made in the image of God, and I'm still going to love you. Right. As hardened as as that can be at times. Right. And again, if you just say that in one
1: conversation, then someone's like, well, that's bullcrap. That's not true.
0: (laughs) Right. Because if you do try to do it in one conversation, it is nonsense. (laughs) Yeah. But if you have, you
1: know— if you've watched their kids and, you know, gotten their mail for them when they were out of town, you know, there's, there's some goodwill there to be able to say, like, yeah, I'll still get your mail next time you are out of town, even though we disagree. Yeah. And that's, like, you know, a non-trivial sort of connection there. Yeah. Like, that's an important way to say, look, there are concrete things that I'm still going to do, and I'm still going to care about you in these very obvious and physical ways, even though we can't disagree more on this particular issue. So, it's tough. I know you're getting tired of us saying that, but this is this next four years is not going to be easy if we want it to go better. <laughs> True story. There's a lot that is needs to be unpacked there. We'll probably have to go back and listen to it ourselves and, like, unpack <laughs> it ourselves, and this is going to be our next four years. We have to yeah. find out how to do this. Now, I will say as one historical caveat, this is not the first time we have elected someone we knew was awful, nor was it the first time we elected someone we knew was a racist. So there is historical precedent for America surviving this. You can look up Andrew Jackson or Richard Nixon. (sighs) So just if if you're into that sort of thing and you need to feel some facts to make you feel better, go look up Andrew Jackson. We survived. Wasn't pretty, but we got through it. The music... At the beginning of the episode was Kid by Arwen and the Mega Reset. What a great name. True that. We used it with permission. Please don't use it without permission.
0: Thanks to Andrew Fallows, Jeremy W. Sherman, and Kurt Klassen for sponsoring the show again this month. If you'd like to sponsor the show, you can go to patreon.com slash winning slowly or cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. 10% of whatever you give us goes to the Internet Archive as weird a time as 2016 has been on the internet we actually don't want to forget about it because history helps us not repeat our mistakes
1: what's up andrew jackson as always <laughs> that's right we appreciate it when you share this with friends post it on social media or rate and review us in itunes or any other podcast app directory that's actually the biggest way you can help support the show so we appreciate yep, it help
0: people find us Woo-hoo. we also love hearing from you do send us comments though this week Maybe. Let's dodge the social media jam. Shoot us an email at hello at winning slowly if you'd like to talk to us. I right. should say hello at winning slowly dot org. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not very much on social media right now anyway because of other things. So.
0: And that whole dissertating thing.
1: Hey, it's going really good. As always, thanks for listening.
0: Go empathize people. I'll cut the go empathize people because that sounded stupid. <laughs> yeah, makes
1: it, makes it sound like empathize is a thing. Go empathize them.
0: Go empathize. <laughs> do it oh, man. do
1: the empathies.
0: Oh man. Okay.